Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Ah! Fuck. Oh no. There's a bloodbath in here. There's gotta be a better way to get my dagger clean and shiny safely than this. This is what I used to deal with when I cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping my dagger slick and ready for wherever the night takes me. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK. Look, it's a dangerous game to be playing, and I distinctly remember one of the earliest times I went into trimming my private area as a maybe teenager. I used scissors. It was bloody and not something I'm looking to repeat. So having something like this on hand is going to make life significantly less bloody, which is probably a good thing. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PEAKSPEAK. Slay your worst pubes and keep your dagger clean with Manscaped. We are recording live. Excellent. Here we somewhere. are live. How are you? Ah, uh, yeah. No, I'm. I'm good. I am not quite as emotionally drained as I suspected I would be. Half a week into reopening the gym. Um, so today's Wednesday, is it? Yeah, we op- opened the gym like properly again on Monday. Uh, so mm-hmm. last kind of almost back to normal it'll be slightly more normal next week when my kid goes back to daycare and we don't have to juggle that shit as well mm-hmm. that shit he says like he doesn't deeply love his child anyway uh sometimes being a parent's a pain in the ass so yeah life is pretty good i have no major complaints um i did some deadlifts for the first time yesterday no monday first time in a long time and i didn't die or wake up so crippled that i couldn't move so life is pretty good amazing they looked really good yes and all i got was comments about how skinny i look yes which i'm not opposed to hey um, you look shredded bodybuilding stage ready i'm still probably a good 87 weeks out from my first show but you know we're taking it each each day at a time and i That's start it. my cut next week That's all you can do exactly <laughs> how's things with you yeah pretty good pretty good just taking Excellent. along life is normal and the old Queensland. I mean, it's as normal as living in Queensland can get. You've still got to be surrounded by Queenslanders. True. And it's very hot now. Yeah, gross. <laughs> anyway, Prism Coffee. Get so, some of that. Speaking of <laughs> hot things, hot uh, things. My, my girlfriend has recently decided that as part of her switch to summer, including like removing her summer clothes from a box and putting winter clothes back in which actually just ended up in there being fucking jackets hanging all over my house anyway uh she's decided she's making the switch to cold coffee and so now i am 
now I've been forced to make iced coffees for her nice. uh, under under duress. Some would say, "Look, it's not that complex. I basically just pour a shot of delicious Prism espresso <laughs> over a ice cube and then fill it with milk. So it's actually like significantly less work than steaming milk <laughs> and doing it all properly. But I like to complain about things, so here I am complaining about it." but also plugging the fact that the Prism Coffee Company are excellent at what they do. So you're not a nice coffee guy? Uh, I would generally prefer to drink like a cold brew yes, uh, than an ice coffee. Uh, I don't know that I need that much milk mm-hmm. in the cold. Like uh, ice coffees generally come with so much milk that it's just excessive. Um, I like my coffee with some milk, but not like a bucket of milk. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my cold coffee is normally um, either cold brew that I made myself, which is the simplest fucking thing in the universe, um, or the there's a local Canberra dude, Alex, who uses prison beans and manufactures cold brew commercially. Mm. Uh, so he makes it in tinnies. He's got like a nitro one as well, which is fucking awesome. And uh, yeah, hooked up with the prism dudes and does it all together. So it's, you know, keeping it all in the family, so to speak. Yes. Excellent. I, all right. I don't know if I can send you cans. Maybe I'll try and send you some tinnies in this nitro. I'm pretty sure I've ha- yeah, pretty sure you gave them to us when we came down last time. I can't remember. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. Anyway, that's Squats. a story for time that isn't us recording. so we did uh how to improve your bench how to improve your deadlift makes sense that we do how to improve your squat so that's today's topic it is the king of all lifts so i'm mostly happy that we left it till last because we've got the less interesting lifts out of the way Uh and now we get to talk about the good one the one that people do you eat your food in order like if you have if you have steak, potatoes, and salad on a plate, do you eat them one at a time, or you? No, because I'm not a fucking psychopath. People, yeah. I just you are eat. a weird mix it up person, so you are a psychopath. No, because like, what if I want some steak with my potato? Nah, it's about ordering importance. It's definitely not. I'm like, I'm definitely a fan of eat the salad first. Like, I don't want to finish on the salad. Okay, so what you're saying is you're a hypocrite. Okay, no, no, lamb. No, no. I'm not like I need three separate plates for my meat and my potatoes and my vegetables and I have to eat them in a precise order because I'm basically an emotionless robot. Uh, But, you know, I definitely am a fan of get all the vegetables in so I don't get to the end of my meal and go, ah, fuck it, I don't need vegetables, they're overrated. (laughs) Why are you uh, like segregate your food, some sort of steak apartheid? Absolutely. Absolutely. Robot. I would do was unclear on it at this point. And Thomas is actually a robot. I do it with like things as far as like ramen. I will eat one ingredient at a time, like drink all the broth before I eat the noodles. God, you're a fucking psycho. Also, we went through a fucking monstrous phase of ramen in my house over lockdown because we're just home all the time. So there's a couple (laughs) of days where we like made ramen broth over three days and the whole house just smelled like ramen for three days. Oh, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Anyway, squats. <laughs> squats. Fine. Back to squats. Six minutes into the podcast, we've got to the actual topic for the day. Yes, you, uh, squats. King of all lifts. You're right. King of all lifts, obviously. It's, it's the party. It's where it the magic happens until yeah. you tear all your labrums, and then it's not so fun anymore, but you're still 
claim it as your favorite lift yeah. in my experience <laughs> yes yes look that is definitely an aspect of squatting that is probably ideally avoided but uh you know mm-hmm. where are we going to start what are we going to talk about squats um, I think, you know, in the in the other two lists, we sort of started with the fundamental principles that, that underpin the movement. So, like, in, in my system, uh, I break down all three lifts into three rules. Rule number one, where does the power come from? Uh, when I talk about the squats, the power comes from muscles of the legs and the hips. Um, and we talk deeply about the, uh, the principle of creating torque. So, I think a good place to start with this would be to sort of have a discussion around the whole knees out thing. I mean, Mm. like it's beaten to death, but the fact that it is beaten to death means it's still, um, you know, a conversation that people have. And it's, it's probably not a conversation that needs to be had once you understand it. It's, it's not that complicated. Um, and I think a lot of the issues that you'll find stem from these conversations is that people, uh, speak from a premise that may not necessarily be relevant. So a lot of the time when you're talking about technical breakdown, people are speaking in the premise of injury. Mm. Uh, so like if you're, if you're looking at the knees caving in on squats, you can't go the knees are caving in therefore that's bad for your knees. It's just not how it works. No. Um, so what's more relevant is understanding what does this movement represent um, and then what do we need to take into account to either correct it or accept it. Yeah, exactly. And for those that are perhaps newer to the... <coughs> excuse me, powerlifting and, um, and strength training world and weren't around for the revelation that was becoming a supple leopard and mobility <laughs> one and the reason we all started horrifically and aggressively smashing our knees sideways in a squatting motion was basically that it came out of one thing that suddenly became this ubiquitous cue that everyone uses and like like a lot of cues gets over applied in a way that is just almost completely irrelevant for most people um and i think that touching on the injury point is really interesting more broadly across all of the list because when we talk about all of this technique stuff for a lot of people the first thing they think about when it comes to technique is injury Mm-hmm. or like injury prevention or, or something like that. And I think that it's actually that point in the conversation that needs to go away first and foremost mm. because f- at least from my point of view as a coach, when I'm talking to you about your technique, I'm almost never talking to you about your technique in reference to hurting yourself or injuring. I'm way more interested in your positions influencing the outcome of the task and therefore the the changes we're making to your positions are about improving the outcomes that you're getting out of the task. And so maybe like in a powerlifting context, those changes are about maximizing the efficiency by making the movement itself be as stable and controlled as possible while still exerting force through all the positions that we want you to be able to exert force in. In some other lift, it may be more about how we changing the environment in terms of your position and stuff like that in order to maximize range of motion or other aspects of the movement itself. Um, and so for the most part, I think we need to first and foremost, yeah, drop this idea that your technique is related to your injury. Because like maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but there are so many other factors that go into injuries and injury risk management, even in a sport that is ultimately very simple like powerlifting 
you know, no one's going to tackle you from behind in a powerlifting meet. Although it would add a really exciting element to opening squats if there was, you know, like a coin toss about whether you just get whacked in the back of the head with a chair or something. It would make it a lot more interesting for the viewers. But um, no, that was too much of an aside. I lost my point. <laughs> no, 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 no. So you, yeah, you're you're on the money with the whole injury prevention. Um, train of thought it's, yes it's not about that at all and the the irony is that if you if you move well um, if your focus is on getting stronger you're going to maximize the strength that you can express in the system by doing it in the most efficient way mm-hmm. in doing so you're going to load the structures that you want to load you're going to distribute that load evenly and that in itself is protective of injury like yeah. in, in, injury is so multifactorial it's almost not worth talking about sometimes it's more about like how do we manage like you said, positions, training loads, all of that sort of stuff, um, that is injury prevention in the sense that it's just controlled training. And uh, then the the other part of this argument that annoys me is the, the people who swing to the other end of the spectrum and are like, technique doesn't matter, we don't actually change technique, it's all load management. Oh, and God. I think, yeah, that end of the discussion is also dumb because what you're missing out in, on is how do we make this the most efficient movement possible? Mm. Like there's a reason they put F1 cars in a fucking wind tunnel mm. for the vast majority of their off season because all of those little micro adjustments have an influence on the outcome of the overall task it's the Hmm. same with the positions you're in in a squat or a bench or a deadlift the positions you're in because as you say with like a shoulder is a shoulder a hip is a hip there's some individual morphology sure and and actually most of that individuality at least in my experience comes more from what is your background and how have you like presented physically to this position right now how have you got there as opposed to like how long are your femurs or how long are your arms or anything like that yeah i think that whole argument is really dumb because the individuality from my point of view is your training background and your your physical history and all of those sort of things rather than the shit you can't change like oh this is how long your legs are great cool do you actually know how to squat no yeah probably not um so yeah i i think both ends of that argument tend to be just like bullshit when actually what we should be talking about is let's just fucking get really strong and make this as close to efficient perfectly efficient as we can and that starts with talk at the hip maybe yeah 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 so coming uh, circling back around to this whole talk idea if we're talking about where the knees go in space your knees just travel forward and back they hinge Yeah, yeah they're, a, they're a hinge joint. Yeah, you could have a big wank off and talk about oh, there's a slight rotational moment at the so and so and blah blah blah. Fuck that. Knees go forward and back. That's as simple as you. That's as complex as you need to understand to get this point right. Yeah. Um, if the knees are going in or out as you would observe them in a squad, it's not representative of your knee. That's representative of your hip. Mm-hmm. And this whole concept of torque, torque is rotational force, and what we're trying to achieve in a squat. Uh, or in deadlift for that matter. Uh, But what we're trying to achieve is a rotational isometric so that all the force generated by the muscles around that joint are directing our body in the way we want it to go, which is straight up. Yeah. Because ultimately muscles pull in straight lines. Like that's the, the thing that we're trying to create is take all of those muscle fibers and put them in a position where they can apply force that moves the bar in the way we want it to. Yeah, yeah. So you've got this new school of thought now, which is... You know, largely based off um, analyzing gait cycle. And um, you'll hear people talk a lot about like the whole idea of pronation, internal rotation, the femur, this kind of thing yep. in terms of generating force for hip extension. And it's it's just like it's similar to a lot of 
um, I hesitate to say old wives tales, but it's similar to a lot of like uh, common statements that we've kind of disproven. It has elements of truth to it. So I would completely agree with that. When you propel yourself forward, when you're looking for hip extension, your hip is going to internally rotate, foot's going to pronate, that happens. That's what the body wants to do. And this is where it becomes different when you're looking at a squat versus where people have drawn these conclusions from. So a lot of people are looking at a squat, seeing these cave in, being like, that's how we produce force. Yes, it is how we produce force. Is it what we want to do in the squat? Probably not. So it's like, that's what the body wants to do. And if we can resist that, we maintain torque at the joint. So the direction that we're trying to travel can be performed in the way that we want it to be performed. Um, so like, do we want the knees to cave in? Is there variance allowed in that? I'm looking for a gold standard. I'm looking for one definitive answer. So I would say no. I wouldn't say it's bad that they're caving in, bad in the sense of injury, but I would say it's not what we're looking for. It's suboptimal for performance. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that for me extends to like all of the lifts and any changes in position from the position you're in at the start in a deadlift or the position you're in as you begin the motion in the squat and the bench. Because any change that we're getting outside of you know that gold standard idea to me is representative of the system itself not being efficient enough to transfer all of the force. Like there's some compensation happening at some point in that system that is representative of force not being applied to the bar. Mm -hmm. Because if you do it really well, your squat should just go down and come back up. There shouldn't mm -hmm. really be any change. It should just be hip and knee flexion, hip and knee extension. You know, it, like it's relatively simple for the most part. And anything that changes outside of that is is you dumping a bunch of energy somewhere. Kelly Strait used to love talking about dumping torque. Mm. Just fucking dumping torque anytime your knees move in. And like, yeah, you're not wrong. You're losing that tension at the hip that we need to apply the force to the bar in the way we want it. But you're also making it probably worse in the way that you talk about it by talking about it being the knees as opposed to what we're going to talk about which is talking about what the theme is doing relative to the hip yeah 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 and the other thing that came with that so the the over focus on the knees knees going out like you sort of alluded to earlier um dosing that too high is problematic so if yeah. we're talking about injuries i would say uh, you know pain arises in far more cases of people pushing their knees out too far than letting yeah, yeah. their knees cave in I was like that for sure. I used to get grumpy hips all the time because mm. I I fucking lived and breathed that idea for ages. And so would be like getting sore knees and sore hips from just like aggressively jamming my knee outwards, you know, in a way that just wasn't actually very effective at all mm. uh, other than to just cause pain. Yeah, I, I mean, like I can't speak definitively about it, but um i drank the kool-aid hard and back then i was very athletically mindseted as in like it was not Which just like just a fat slob pretty much it was <laughs> back then it wasn't just like if he says it do it once a week it was all day every day working yeah, like eight times a day yeah yeah and i would say like this overemphasis on shoving knees out um staying upright in the squat was is probably one of the things that exacerbated the the genetic problems that i have in, in my hips and, and yeah, for sure. the kind of problems that i have um but yeah can't say that for sure uh, yeah, the, so this overemphasis on knees also is built on the assumption, as in that 
initial knees out, knees out, knees out. It's built on the assumption that most people's problem is knees in, and yes. most people's problem is knees in. But there's a there's a host of uh, a, there's a, a smaller percentage of the let's say the powerlifting community um, whose problem is the opposite, whose problem mm. is that they can't get their knees to go in. And from a coaching perspective, it's ten times harder to identify and solve than it is for people whose whose knees won't stay out, so to speak. And in and out is bad terminology, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and. For me, I think the biggest thing that's changed in the way I look at that and like the way I coach it is like a lot of things, it, it has evolved because my understanding of what's happening has evolved to the point where I can see that knee cave that's happening and go, oh, well, rather than thinking about what's happening at the knee and trying to cue that, I go, okay, well, what does that represent and how do we get the lifter into that position by cueing as close to the action that we actually want, mm. which is where this element of like element of truth to this idea of knees out comes in but it's again like a reductionist approach to it. You've just like seen a thing, band-aid solution that, and actually end up overemphasizing in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that idea of queuing as close to the action as you actually want. Um, for for zero, what we've arrived at is the idea of twisting your quads away from each other and holding that all the way down, all the way up. Um, now, uh, my my goal with cues and the way that I teach uh, coaches how to use cues, etc is to try and get them as one size fits all as possible. Cause like you were saying before, we have a hip, you have a hip, I have a hip, blah, blah, blah. Um, the hard thing with cues is scale. Um, Cause if you twist your quads away from each other as hard as you can, you're just gonna fall into that whole knees out position. But yeah. the, the bigger issue here um, for lifters and for coaches or the bigger implication I should say not issue uh, is understanding all the elements that go into creating and maintaining torque. So yeah we can create and maintain torque at the at the hip where the femur connects into the pelvis for sure but in order to keep torque into the system or to keep torque in the system the rest of the system has to be fixed so we need the pelvis to be stable can't be going you know into anterior posterior tilt can't be going into arching your back or butt wink um, and also the feet have an important implication what your feet are doing is going to determine um, the torque relationship happening at the hip so the more you turn your feet out, the more you buy external rotation, the more you're gonna fall inwards and vice versa. Um, and so it's, well, maybe not that simple, but your feet play an important role. The angle of your feet play an important role. Your pelvis plays an important role. And playing with any of these variables can change dramatically how the squat looks and feels. Because yeah. if you get if you get this magic cue, you know, twist your quads away from each other, hold them all the way down and all the way up, and you try and it feels like shit, maybe there's other variables in the system that need to change. Uh, and it's important to understand that with squat bench deadlift with these big compound movements um each part of the system will interact with the other parts and can greatly change the outcome so there's yeah. a lot more to it than just a magic cue is what i'm saying yeah and and that's it's so it's that idea of like relative motion right when your femur externally rotates it's externally rotating relative to the position of your pelvis so then when the pelvis changes that position's changed again and that's what you mean by saying all of these parts uh play a role and they're, and they're all connected so with that in mind like where do we start because for me I like I'm a let's just look at your feet first and we'll work our way up because so many people come into squat and they just don't have never actually like thought about what they're doing and so we like I give them something real simple to think about like where's the pressure in your feet like what's going on there let's just start with that do you start like a, a bottoms up approach? Do you start with a brace? Like how do you sort of break that apart? No, I always, uh, bearing in mind, you know, my bias is going to be that I tend to work with people who are already squatting. 
yeah. so for, for people who are a little bit more experienced i generally just leave everything exactly the same and cue from the hips and then manipulate variables from there so for example you know the idea of midfoot pressure or you know think back five years ago three years ago whenever it was when everyone got obsessed with like tripod foot that kind of thing that's te- that stuff tends to um uh, that stuff tends to happen automatically in a good system. If everything else is in the spot, yeah. And so I try to leave that alone unless it's something that we could use to enhance the system. Um, I don't think it's a bad practice. It's just not how I approach it. Yeah, I no, go, and, I go and hitch I've, first, then brace. I think um, it's it's a scale thing because I actually I would do the same with a more experienced lifter as well. Yeah. Like with a, a newer lifter starting from the ground up gives them this perspective of like where they are in space and how that influences their ability to hit a range of motion. With a more experienced lifter, you want the big rocks to start with. And if you can tick those boxes to begin with, then you're going to be far better off rather than trying to start with minutiae and then work your way back up to the big things. Hmm. Which, uh, you know, which is what the industry has led us to believe we need to do yeah. is get get obsessed with very, 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 very minute things and then at the same time overlook the massive things that are going to fix all the problems first yeah yeah so yeah i i would I'd generally start with hips so having solved the knees out debate because we're so efficient we've done it in 10 minutes uh take that fitness industry uh yeah. we moved to talking about brace because yep. i think this is again one of those really horrifically misunderstood concepts uh like that i misinterpreted and completely misunderstood for a long time so i know you have a very succinct and uh sort of easy to understand way of explaining it so i want you to do that explaining on this front yeah yeah i mean like we did talk about it in deadlifts but i don't think you can hear about it enough um in squats I, i would say bracing in squats is the second most poorly understood and poorly taught thing in powerlifting across the board and as a lifter the the hardest thing uh sorry the second hardest thing to implement as a skill um i would say the number one on all of those things is teaching the shoulders on bench and performing the shoulders on bench um but bracing on squats is is definitely next in line um it, it normally stems from like an incomplete cueing strategy where people are using um either directional cues or, or, or cues that implement part of the brace but not the whole brace so understanding what the whole brace is is where we have to start and understanding that it's a combination of the breathing system and muscular engagement and thankfully (laughs) they happen together if we understand what's going on so we're you know people always throw out the word intra-abdominal pressure you say what's what does bracing mean everyone says intra-abdominal pressure like you sitting there breathing right now are influencing your intra-abdominal pressure all intra-abdominal pressure is is a word to describe the pressure happening in your abdomen that's it i think it's technically two words yeah well one word a compound adjective right hyphenated if you want to look at it like that no because i think it's intra hyphen abdominal space pressure oh yeah yeah that's two words i was just talking about the word anyway fuck (laughs) i quit i'm done excellent i'm done sam um, yeah, so it's a combination of this of this breathing system um, and a muscular system. When you take a big breath in, you get a series of events happen, right? Diaphragm flattens out, organs descend, pelvic bowl opens, you know, you, your pelvic floor relaxes. You don't want to brace like that because part of the inhale strategy is your rib cage expands, you go into thoracic extension, your shoulders elevate, all these things that we don't want to be doing while we're squatting. And that's how most people breathe and brace. They take a big breath and they hold it. 
The brace is not the holding of the breath. The brace is trying to push the breath out. The brace is a forced exhalation against a blocked airway. It's called the Valsalva maneuver. Um, So you're trying to breathe the air out. uh, And in doing so, you get all of that pressure in your abdomen. You get a lung full of air. You get the muscular components. You get your, you know, your... um, you get your abs contracting to pull your ribcage down. You get scapular depression. You get all of that shortening sort of action happening. That's where the support comes from. So bracing is the action of trying to force the air out against the blocked airway. Uh, the way that I take people through it is take a big breath in, push that air out hard and fast. Do that again, but this time when you push the air out, just keep pushing it out all on one breath. So keep pushing the air out until you can't push it anymore and then keep trying to push it. You'll feel all your abs switch on and cramp and go all horrible. Then do that again, but when you try and push the air out, don't let any air out. Yeah. Congratulations, you've done the best breathing brace ever. Now do it while you yeah. squat. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was actually in talking to you about this that really helped me make all of those connections because I had like just overcomplicated the shit out of it because I thought I had an understanding of it. And then it was the that idea of like just exhale and don't let any air come out. I was like, oh, okay, yep being able to like i because i i knew inherently myself like what to do and how to do it mm. but i i hadn't ever had a good enough language for describing it to people that was foolproof and what you've just described there is genuinely the most foolproof way to teach someone how to brace their core <laughs> for basically anything right because if you can explain exhaling then you're probably fine Yep, and you can do it in a bunch of different ways you can do it in like a 90-90 you know on the floor position which I really like uh, especially again for the less experienced people because the floor gives them something to feel it Mm -hmm. gives them an understanding of like what happens when you change the position of your rib cage or your pelvis and and how those things influence the ability to create pressure through there Um, but you can literally do it just like standing there talking Mm. to people like and that's the I think the real value in something like this is we can have a nice elaborate discussion about it while you lie on the floor and blow up a balloon and you know tickle your abs and do all that sort of shit or we can like have it in between warm-up sets where you go hey so talk to me about bracing and I go cool like take a big breath and blow it out but don't let any air come out and they go oh okay cool we can do the next set now yeah I think that's like that's where the value in all of these understanding the the principles is is you can take these elaborate discussion we can have a fucking 45 minute long podcast about bracing if we really Mm. wanted to or we can just explain it really simply and get on with the fucking job for sure for sure and i mean like it's it's not without um the need for further coaching there's a lot of stuff that will need more attention uh but i mean like that's a great starting point and i still cringe at you know um very old cues still being used, things like push your stomach into your belt, um, 360 breathing, that kind of thing. Like, You've got lungs in your chest. You can't breathe into your belly. Stop saying breathe into your belly. You oh, don't yeah, have man. lungs into your belly, so stop doing that. Um, and uh, like I, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to insult people who use these cues because I've used them all. Yeah, um, yeah and- me too. That's, that's the funny part about insulting <laughs> these people is we're definitely just mostly insulting us yeah. five or six years ago. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like you, when, when you've got a bigger sample size of people, so when you've worked with heaps of people, you see the outliers and where these cues go wrong because yes. a lot of these cues are great for most people. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're not complete, but they'll do the job, which is why people use them. Push into your belt, most people are going to get. This is where this is where it's like I had to fast track my understanding of what I'm trying to achieve with a cue. That used to be my go-to cue. Take a big breath, brace like you're going to get punched, push your stomach out into your belt. 
and I was, I had, when I became flavor of the month as a coach and started getting all these big lifters, I had one big dude come see me in person, fixed his bracing. His bracing was the main issue on his squat. Switched to online coaching. He lived on the other side of town. I would say this week after week, push your stomach into your belt, keep working on your bracing. It's looking good, but you need to keep working on it. He was misinterpreting it as like shoving his stomach forward into his belt. And after like eight weeks, he fucked his back because of my cue. I was saying, push your stomach into your belt. And he was literally doing it. Yeah. And you can listen to that and be like, well, he was a fucking idiot. He didn't get it. He was doing what I told him to do. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, what we have to understand with cues. When you say yeah. knees out, don't get surprised when eventually someone ends up with their knees way past their foot, their foot rolling out onto the outside of their foot. Like, don't don't be surprised when that happens because you told them to do that. Yeah. There, there are few moments in coaching that are as cringeworthy and painful to the ego as saying something to someone and watching them just like completely butcher it. And the first thought when you're like young and inexperienced as a coach is like, well, that fucking idiot doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, they don't get it. And then like five to 10 years later, you're like, God damn it, you dickhead. (laughs) Explain this better, you useless piece of garbage. Because I've done that so many times. Like I've set a cue and it's just been completely butchered. Um, Then I've had to go, okay, forget that. Try this. And then they butcher that one and I go, fuck, fuck, fuck. (laughs) Oh yeah, okay, cool. I've got it. And we get there eventually. But I think there's a lot to be said. And this is where I think there's a lot of value in working with like complete beginners for new and, and inexperienced coaches because you will get someone who's walked into the gym for the first time to do something with their body other than sit on a couch or an office chair in 20 fucking years and they'll have no concept of what you mean by knees out. And suddenly you'll be in a position where your go-to cue that works with all of your mid-20s clients who have some athletic background and kind of know what they're doing anyway suddenly is completely useless. And mm. having to figure out how you then de- uh, like uh, break that apart and and understand the fundamental pieces of it, like that's the game, that's the hard bit. And sure. being in that environment, not like like you said, a sample size, a big sample size helps, but a big sample size that is broad in its experience and mm. uh, training history backgrounds, because you learn so much from people who like, for all intents and purposes, are fucking terrible powerlifters and will never be good powerlifters. <laughs> they're the ones that you're going to learn the most from as a coach because they're the ones that are going to struggle the most to understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And so you have to be so much clearer in the language you're using around how you do these things and how you set things up. And I think that's that's the big piece that we can talk about across all of these episodes about squatting, benching, and deadlifting. I think that's the important one is the way you describe things and the language you use is ultimately going to influence what's going on. And it can go bad. Like you said, you can coach someone for a little while, like eight weeks, not that fucking long. Yeah. But it's long enough to really fucking hurt someone. Yeah. Uh, and in a way that you had no intention of doing, and I'm sure he didn't no. intend to hurt himself. And it's that sort of thing that happens and makes you sit back and go, fuck, what did I do wrong to put us in this position? And how can I be better about it? Big time. Big time. Yeah. I When I'm teaching coaches in person, I introduce them to my alter ego, George. And George will do literally everything you tell him to do. When you say knees out, you better believe his knees are going out. When you say squeeze this or brace that or whatever, he's going to do it times 10. And it's a real, it's a real lesson in, um, in figuring out how powerful your words are. 
to certain people. Oh, yeah. And you, you don't get many Georges. There aren't many Georges out there. But when you do, you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? Yeah, yeah. And it's not, nothing's wrong with them. It's your yeah, language. It's 100% you. It's the worst. Yeah. Um, that leads me then to talk about, so talking about bracing, uh, a lot of people want to talk about the idea that wearing a belt, like if you wear a belt, you should go through phases of not wearing a belt. I know we all went through a phase of like beltless training is the key and oh. like spend as long as you can without any assistance equipment because like it just makes you tougher on the inside. Um, and I've certainly changed my view on those sort of things, but I'd like to hear your opinion on the value of the belt versus beltless debate. Yeah, I, I've I've never been one to prescribe beltless training. Um, I'm very quick to um, get people to wear their belts more often and earlier in their training. Um, the way that I look at it is, uh, again, probably the most common weakness in a squat is the bracing system. And if we can use a cueing tool, a, a, you know, a tactile cueing tool to get people into a better position, why the fuck wouldn't we? Um, I want people to spend more time in a better position. If we can hold a better position, we can lift more weight, we can lift more weight, we can do more work, we can get stronger. Um, if the core, for lack of a better term, is a weakness, make it stronger you don't have to do that in the squat if you're doing it in the squat you're holding back the squat why would you hold back the squat for the sake of training something in inside of the squat like that just seems silly uh, so i'm not a i'm not a big fan of the beltless for core training mentality however i would say that if you are using beltless training as a constraint to um uh reflect a higher intensity without more weight on the bar why not you know, if yeah. you can maintain position, you can lift well. I think if you can find a real reason to justify beltless training that isn't strengthening the core, because I think that's bullshit, go for it. Yeah, and that's exactly how I use it. I used to be a like, yeah, beltless training is good for you because it's going to strengthen your core. And now I realize that actually the benefit I was getting out of it as a coach was allowing someone to work really hard in a squat with less total load mm. because it's a rate it's a rate limiter for a lifter that lifts in a belt all the time taking the belt off suddenly makes everything feel much heavier yeah and so that's where i find the value in it either as like a secondary movement or you know something like that where we're doing some squatting variation that forces you to load it a little bit less than you perhaps could with a belt and you know the same goes for a lot of the other assistance equipment is it's for me, it's a tool to be used to increase your performance where relevant. And sometimes it's a really useful tool to rate limit your performance by removing it. Yeah. And I think that's fine as long as it's not um, reinforcing poor technique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck, what was I going to say? Oh, I can't remember. I had a good point on the whole beltless thing, but I can't remember it. There you go. That's useless. Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of how we roll. Exactly. All right, the last piece of the puzzle, the upper back. Yes. What does this mean to you? Well, if you're squatting low bar, it means actively placing the bar on your mid thoracic, ideally somewhere about your eighth or ninth rib and hoping to God that you can hold your hands in that position <laughs> through the whole squatting range because lower <laughs> is better. Absolutely. If it's on your, if it's not on your lower back, get the fuck out. Yeah. If you can't externally rotate your shoulders enough to rest the bar on the top of your pelvis, then you're <laughs> not squatting low enough. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Look, I I think upper back in the squat is 
again, just like really poorly understood, much like it is in the bench because it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, a very, very similar position. Um, I think it's it's so misunderstood in a way that people have these huge debates about like low bar versus higher bar, like hand position, grip width, all of these different things where it's missing the actual big rocks of understanding what we're trying to do with setting up your upper back effectively, regardless of where you put the fucking bar on your back mm-hmm. um, and, and what it's the purpose it's serving. And the purpose it's serving is to provide a stable platform for you to allow the transfer of force from the muscles at the hip, which are doing the work in a squat. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not ticking that box, then whatever the fuck else you're doing with your life is probably not worthwhile. You need to focus on understanding how to create that position in a way that makes it effective for force transfer. Yes. Yeah, nice. Nice, nice, nice. So I, I break up the upper back into um, three categories made up of six components. Category one is... God, you're such a nerd sometimes. I know. Shoulder torque, so internal, external rotation. And this is the category that needs the least amount of discussion. There are very, very, very few people that don't have the rotational range to get their hands on the bar and to create shoulder torque. Those who appear to not have that are often missing one of the other um, components. very rarely is it anything to do with rotation very rarely is anything in powerlifting to do with shoulder rotation um the the second category is uh scapular stability so the position of the scaps while we're trying to um, perform a squat and that's got three components retraction depression and anti-tilt anti-tilt you can't control but it is a big factor that we often need to problem solve retraction depression are the other big ones depression is going to come naturally as part of bracing like your shoulders are going to come down um, that's important in terms of shortening the lever length between the bar and your hips which is going to make for a more efficient movement especially if you're doing low bar retraction is probably the biggest one though like think the more you can retract the further your hands come back in space and that's what's going to help you get your hands on the bar so you can cue to create upper back tightness most people are grabbing the bar and literally just shoving themselves under the bar yeah. That's where most of the upper back issues and breakdowns come from is not having the controllable range to um, control your shoulders under the bar. It's, it's often as simple as that. And it's so often, like you, I think you see that so, like it's probably one of the most butchered things in really like lightweight, smaller people, specifically a lot of women who are like hyper flexible, who just fucking stuff their hands in a position that's like right next to their shoulders and it feels really tight because you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I've wedged myself under a squat bar. But you're not actually ticking any of the boxes that create tension in the positions that we need them to be in. You've just given yourself this feeling of being uncomfortable and translated that into, yeah, well, I must be tight. My back must be in a good position. But it is it is an active position. If you're not actively mm. holding that position, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, it's, it's the difference between feeling tightness and creating tightness. And you get the opposite problem at the opposite end of the spectrum. Big broken dudes that can't physically get yeah. into that position literally just shove themselves. Feels like their shoulders are going to rip out because they're that tight. They're not creating that tightness. The big difference is with that, with that cohort of people, they normally end up with all the neural symptoms, all that arm pain that comes from low bar yeah. squatting. It 100% comes from low bar squatting and not controlling the shoulders. Simple yeah. as that. Um, the third category is thoracic extension. That's the third category in the sixth component. And we don't want true thoracic extension. We just want anti-flexion. Yeah. Um, and so you, you imagine the more flexed you are in your upper back, the further forward you are, the more you have to shift the mechanics to account for where the bar position is. And that's going to change change the mechanics of the lift. It's going to lengthen that lever between the bar and the hips, make it a little bit harder, cause you to fold in half, 
blah, blah, blah. And, and often reduce your ability to create an effective brace because you've changed the relative orientation of your pelvis and your rib cage. Big time. Big time. Um, uh, do you have a, a, a opinion on the low bar, high bar thing? Because I used to be very much in the like everyone should squat low bar thing. And again, this is probably a discussion that's more relevant to the less experienced end of the thing because I think more experienced lifters who want to be the best at powerlifting should squat low bar. Yep. But I think there's a, a point in the spectrum of experience of lifters where a lot of lifters hear this idea that low bar is better. And so what they do is just fucking move the bar to their asshole and <laughs> hope for the best on the assumption that because you've moved the bar down more, you'll be better at squatting. Mm-hmm. When actually what ends up happening is their shitty shoulder position in a high bar gets magnified by a factor of five because they've moved the bar down their back and suddenly the whole thing turns to shit because someone told them at some point that low bar means you squat more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd, I'd echo that. I'd say if your goal is to be the best powerlifter, you'd be silly not to be doing low bar and not to be working towards creating a good, tight, efficient low bar position. Um in all other circumstances it's about I, I still believe low bar is a stronger way to squat but if the squat isn't necessarily being used as the uh, the tool to express max strength or you're not expressing max strength in general and you can't perform low bar very well just do high bar yeah yeah do you use much in the way of uh, bar position variation for squat variations um i I probably use it a little bit more sparingly than than other powerlifting coaches. I definitely use it as a variation when people's arms are getting beat up. Um, I'll definitely use it as a variation for variation's sake when it comes f- for the the time to be that. But normally, I'm giving an option between high bar or cambered or safety bar or something like that. Yeah. Um, I I don't I don't believe that it's like a massive strength builder that I would then build in heaps of. But certainly, if someone doesn't have the good upper back control to do low bar hitting them with heaps of low bar volume is just gonna fuck them up yeah, in which really. case I'd, I'd use high bar quite a bit so yeah. Uh, yeah i like to chuck high bar in for tempo variations and stuff so you know times where the actual squad as long as it's close enough is kind of good enough i'll chuck in high bar yeah i i tend to echo that entirely as well and i think again it's a discussion for having something that like rate limits the load in a way that allows you to have maybe a second or third squad exposure across a week yeah in a way that doesn't also just beat on your shoulders and elbows because you suck at labor. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, cool. Well, I think that's a good start, like a good general overview of all things squat. And then yeah, for sure. We'll next talk week about we some can... accessories and stuff next week and yeah. programming stuff. Footwear stuff at some footwear. point. Let's talk about footwear so I can drop my Vivo code. <laughs> all right. We'll do it next week. Goodbye. Cheers.